For those of you who may not know, my name is Jonathan Romig. I'm the associate pastor here. It's my pleasure to serve here. Uh, uh, many of you are aware that we just went through the Quest church planting training this Friday and Saturday. I just wanted to let you know that it went really, really well. Uh, God uh, was present, the Holy Spirit was present, and he was working through it, and it's just a good beginning on, on seeing what God is going to do. Um, so you can be in prayer uh, continually as we're continuing to, to pull the team together. Uh, and if you want to learn more, you can come to the, the meeting on, on Saturday for the, the semi-annual um, business meeting. Um, and God's at work. So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he speaks through your word. Would he speak through your word? Would he speak through me? Would we hear what you want us to hear right now, this morning? We pray all this to your glory, Jesus. Amen. The first funeral I ever led was for a cat. And it was a couple years ago, actually. It was in seminary. It was so long ago, I don't remember the cat's name. In fact, I'm not even sure I knew the cat's name at the time I did the funeral. Uh, several years ago, when I was going through seminary, I, I, I lived with an elderly lady named Jane. Uh, I lived in an extra room, and I would mow the lawn and, and shovel for her snow and try to help out. And throughout the course of my time there, her cat died. And so she asked me to bury the cat. And I remember the, the, the brown bag and like the cat was in the bag. I didn't really want to look in the bag. Uh, but I took it outside and she followed. And we went and I dug a hole in the backyard and I put the cat in and then I put some dirt on and then some kitty litter on it and then some branches and some leaves to make sure the coyotes wouldn't get it. Uh, and then Jane asked me, would you say a few words? And I was like, okay, uh, I've never said words at a cat's funeral before, but... I'll try. Um, and so I, I said something along the lines of, you know, Snowflake was a good cat. Thank you, God. Um, I didn't really know, you know, if cats go to heaven, so I just said, we give this cat to you. And then we went back inside. <laughs> and I give that as an example of how not to comfort those that are in pain. Today we're talking about just that. How can we comfort those going through times of suffering, through times of trial? How can we comfort others in their pain? And actually, this is not something that we're all born with. We don't all have that, that unique gifting to just bring comfort and healing into situations. In fact, we're actually getting worse as a culture at comforting other people. According to a recent study from the year 2000 to 2010, the ability to empathize dropped 40% among college students. That's only 10 years. I went to college during those years. Some of the reasons for this is, you know, social networking. We're becoming more distant from other people. We don't really know those around us. And also, there's not a great deal of resources training us on how to comfort others, how to love others when they need it the most. One, I, I did a website search of just a Google search of how to comfort others and not very many resources popped up. One website listed 21 ways to comfort a friend in crisis. These are all fine ways, but it certainly wasn't researched out, but one said, one, make contact. 
Two, listen to the story. Three, be there emotionally. Eight, bring food. Ten, let your friend cry. Sixteen, be patient. Nineteen, don't support drinking too much or other reckless behavior. Twenty-one, check in over time. These are all nice things that you can do. These are good things. Uh, But I'm curious, what does the scripture say? What is... What does God tell us and how we can comfort others? How, how can we bring healing to those that are hurting? We've been going through uh, a series called Hope in the Now. And we've been, we've been talking through the book of Job. And we saw in the book of Job that God is sovereign. He, he, he controls everything. He's over everything. And yet, at the same time, he's not the author of evil. And that God gives us suffering and, and he uses the suffering for our good, for his glory. And, and he loves us through it all. And today, we're going to continue the same series, but in the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And in this passage, we're going to learn some of the the skills for comforting others, some of the the basics of how God calls on us to comfort others, what purpose he has in that skill set for us. The thing we're going to learn is that God comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others with Christ. God comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others in Christ. Let's read the passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Our passage today tells us God comforts us in our pain. And the first thing we can notice from verse 3 is that God comforts us in suffering. God God cares for us when we go through hard times. Because our God, the character of our God, is a God who cares. Our God is a God who cares. Verse uh, 3 opens by Paul. Paul was the author of 2 Corinthians. He wrote the letter. Paul opens by explaining the character of our God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now, the church that Paul wrote to, the the Corinthian church, it was located in in Greece right next to Athens, Uh, it it was going through a time of uh, inner turmoil, a little little outer turmoil, and trying to figure out who it is as a church. Uh, Paul was asking them to, to send money to the to the relief effort in Jerusalem, so perhaps they had some financial, you know, hardships uh, at that time. Uh, there were super apostles, self-named super apostles, kind of like super pastors in the, in the local church who, who said, Paul, you're not a real apostle. And at the church of Corinth, they were, tr- they were struggling to find their identity because Corinth didn't, uh, the church didn't look very different from the culture. It was hard to, to figure out, you know, they blended so well that, that, are these really Christians? Is there anything that's different about these people from the culture? 
And, and that culture at that time uh, would actually have been against them and their God if they really held true to their belief in Christianity, to their faith. See, the gods they worshipped are starkly different. The Greek gods. And, and there were four gods, uh, the four main ones that they worshipped in Corinth were Hermes, Hercules, Athena, and Poseidon. So Hermes, and maybe you'll see some of these in the movies, uh, but Hermes is a god of boundaries, travel, and trade. Hercules was a, an ascended deity. He, he was half man, half god, and he became a god. Uh, he was the god of sports, athletes, and trade. Athena is the god, goddess of intelligence, skill, peace, and wisdom. Poseidon was the god of sea, rivers, floods, droughts, earthquakes, and the little mermaid. <laughs> but these gods, these Greek gods, they didn't care about people very much. It was kind of like a chess set where, where they would just move people around for their entertainment and wars would happen and, and battles would happen. And, and, and that's really the type of relationship they had, that we were more puppets to their gods. And right here in verse 3, what does Paul say? He says that our God is a father. Our God cares about us. Our God loves us. Our God is different than the Greek gods. Our God is different than the gods of this world. Our God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And our God cares for us. When you think of the gods today, the gods of, of this world, you probably don't think of the Greek gods. Maybe you think of, uh, of greed, the god of the Tao, and its 30 corporate titans. Maybe you think of lust, the god of Hollywood and, and American beauty. Maybe you think of power, the god of control and dominance and biceps. Maybe you think of laziness, the god of couch, couches and potato chips and daytime television. None of these gods have our best in mind. All these gods want to exert dominance over us. They want to rule our lives. These temptations, they're not really gods at all. And the scripture right here at the beginning is saying that our God is a God who cares. Our God loves us. Our God is the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to deliver us from these false gods. The gods of Greece and the gods of today, they really don't care. They don't care about us. They don't care if your retirement is full or empty. They don't care what the pain and the suffering that you're going through. But our God is a God who cares. And, it's, and that's, that's comforting. That's extremely moving for us because we all go through suffering. We all go through pain. We all go through trial. Verse 4 says that our God comforts us in all our affliction. Now, Paul was going through some affliction in that time period. Uh, he, he was trying to bring the gospel message to Corinth. And because of that, he had he'd gone through many trials and circumstances. And throughout his life, he was uh, lashed, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was, he was thrown out of town, he was shipwrecked. Paul went through all these different horrible things. And yet he's saying, our God is a God who comforts us in all our affliction. And Paul suffered things many of us will never experience, but that doesn't discredit our hurts. It says we're, we have different hurts. We, we, we go through times of suffering and times of affliction as well. When, when we go through a divorce, like we experience real heartbreak. When we go through the loss of a job, we experience real anxiety. 
when we go through a loss of a loved one, we experience real sadness. Maybe some of you have, have gone through what Paul has gone through and, and have experienced suffering because of Jesus. You've been shamed at work or, or people kind of look at you funny. And although we all go through different types of suffering, maybe it's uh, you know, because there's sin in the world or maybe it's just because uh, of circumstances or, or our faith, and we all go through you know, little or a lot of suffering, knows that our hope is all the same. We have different, different types of suffering, but our hope is all found in one person. It's Christ Jesus. God comforts us in our suffering. And the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does God use the comforting which he gives us to help comfort others? Well, God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others with Christ. God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others. Verse 4 says that, uh, that we can comfort, let's see, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That verse says that we can comfort others in any affliction. So I'm trying to think of an affliction or a circumstance or a trial that would fit outside of any, and I can't think of a single one. That means that God can use you, use me, can use us to, to bring comfort no matter the circumstance, no matter what someone else is going through. Now that does not mean that we're all licensed counselors. That does not mean that we're all trained professionals, but it does seem to say that God can use us to bring help, to bring comfort, even when we're going, when our friends and our, our family are going through tough times. Now, how is this possible? Why can I bring comfort no matter the circumstance? Why can you bring comfort? We'll go back to verse 3, because I think in verse 3, we actually catch a glimpse of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. And so in verse 3, we see, we see, blessed be the God and Father, the Father, one, of our Lord Jesus Christ, two, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Well, where is the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's implied in this verse. So in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, the word for comfort is the word paraklesis, paraklesis. And, and, and that word in the, the original language is more of just a general sense of encouragement, of, of comfort, of, uh, of exhortation, of love. And if we look back in the, in the New Testament to the book of John, we actually see Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit by a word that is very similar to this. In John 14, 6, the word for Holy Spirit is the word parakletos. The, the, the name, kind of the title for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. So in, in 2 Corinthians 1.3, we have paraklesis. And in John 14.16, we have parakletos. John 14.16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or comforter to be with you forever. That word for helper, that word for comforter is the word parakletos. So right here, the scripture is saying, that we have the comforter. And we see from, from the breath of Scripture that if we trust in Christ, the paraclete, the parakletos, comes and dwells inside of us. So that means the God who, who's created us, who knows us, who loves us, knows just how we work and just how we think and just how our friends work and think, that God has come to dwell inside of you if you trust in Jesus. And that means, well, if this God is inside of me, then 
maybe I can comfort others because he's helping me comfort them in, in ways that my, me and my, my own self and my own strength can just simply not do. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit uh, is almost like a personal trainer who can, who can help you uh, with comforting others. And he's certainly dwelling inside of us and he's our Savior and more than that. And maybe some of you are wondering, well, when, when, how can I know that the Holy Spirit is inside of me? How can I know that the, the Holy Spirit can use me to comfort others? Well, when you go through times of suffering and you go through times of pain and you experience a sense of peace, it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comforting you. And you're first experiencing that when you go through, through, through times of loss and times of trial and, and for some reason you want to worship God even though it doesn't feel good. That is the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And that, that same Holy Spirit can extend that same comfort to others. God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others. Now, for those of you who love sports, I'm going to use a baseball movie for an illustration. And for those of you who get hurt playing sports, I'm going to use my life for an illustration. <laughs> now, sometime in the late 90s, my parents rented a VHS copy of the movie Angels in the Outfield. That movie was made in 1994, so that was a while ago. But they made, so they, we watched this movie together, and it's a movie of a young boy played by Joseph Gordon-Levy when he was just a kid uh, who, who prays to God. He loves this, this team called the California Angels who are just terrible at baseball. And he prays for them, and he says, you know, God, would, you, would they start to win? And sure enough, he goes to the next game, and suddenly he spots an angel on the field, an angel that only he can see. And and suddenly the, the players can hit harder, run faster, pitch faster. And they start to win a game. And then uh, this boy, he forms a relationship with the coach. Of course, the coach is skeptical. There's no angels. But, but then he begins to believe. And then there's this scene where there's a game coming up, one of the games. And, and uh, the little boy sees, sees an angel, you know, uh, touch one of the, one of the players and, uh, who's off on the sideline, who's not uh, dressed up to play. And the coach comes over and says, you know, you see anything? He said, yeah, you should, you should have that guy play. And the coach says, him? Oh, no, no, he has a bum arm. He could, he could never play. He's, 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 he's no good. And he says, you know, I, I've, I've seen it. And he says, no, 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 no. To which Joseph, Gordon Levy, the little boy, he replies, if the angel pitches with him, he'll be awesome. Doesn't matter if he has a broken arm or a bum arm. And sure enough, he goes on and he pitches and he puts him in and, and it's a shutout. Pitches all the way through and they win. And what we're learning today is that if the Holy Spirit comforts us, with us, comforts through us, we'll be awesome. That doesn't mean that you and I will never make mistakes. But, but if God is with us, we're going to be okay. We can bring comfort. We can bring comfort in suffering. God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others. Now, for the rest of you who don't like sports, I'd like to share how God has comforted me in some of my life. In my family, my oldest brother liked guns. My second oldest brother liked music and song. My, my third brother, next to me, he liked carving. And, and I liked going to the doctor's office. <laughs> it seemed as I, as I grew up that I was always at the doctor's office. Uh, when I was just a kid, I had childhood asthma. I grew out of it, but that was there for a couple years. I had the inhaler. And I got a little older, and I discovered I had allergies to, like, dust and pollen and mold and air. Uh, 
And so I had to get allergy shots twice a week in my arm. I'd go to the doctor's office and sit there for about a half hour, and, and then twice a week, and then once a week, and then every other week, and I did that for six years. Uh, and then I got to college, and I had the unpleasant discovery that my shoulder would pop about halfway out of joint, just at random. Uh, in fact, I was out in D.C., I was working, and I was on the road uh, traveling, and I was in a hotel, and I was brushing my teeth, and my shoulder just popped out. And I was in immense pain. I tried to do the Bruce Willis, just kind of slam my shoulder in, into the wall. And that didn't work. And so I had to walk out into the parking lot. And I, I don't know why I hobbled, but I, I probably did. Because uh, I was in pain. And I had to ask a stranger, hey, would you, would you put my shoulder back in for me? And he looked at me. He's like, okay. And he pushed it back in. And then he asked for my copay. Maybe some of you know that experience where you too, you feel like you're in the doctor's office all the time. And, and, and sometimes it, we question why. why. Why, God, do we go through all those things? Why do you go through times of suffering and times of pain? And what I, I hope I'm learning and what I hope I'm, I'm realizing is that God can use those times at the doctor's office and those times of, of being in pain to teach me how to be better at comforting you and the things that you go through. That hopefully it'll make me a better pastor. And that same thing applies to you guys, that when, when you go to the doctor's office and when you're sitting out there, you don't have to just bum out that you're there. You can say, Lord, you know, how are you teaching me in this situation so that I can comfort others when, when they go through similar circumstances? God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others. And we comfort others with the suffering and comfort we've received in Christ Jesus. Verse 5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Verse 5 says, We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. What does it mean to share in Christ's sufferings? That's kind of a weird statement. To share in Christ's sufferings is to identify with yourself with Jesus and the cross. That's what, I, that's what I think this passage is talking about. To share in Christ's sufferings is to identify yourself with Jesus and the cross. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when we see the cross, we see that we are up there with Christ. That spiritually, we have to die with Christ. And that means that we, we recognize that I'm no better than anyone else. That I'm evil. That there's sin in my heart. There's so much sin in my heart, I have to be crucified. I have to be put to death. Isn't that humbling? Because then we, we can look at ourselves and say, well, I'm no better than anyone else. If, if you're going through suffering and if you're going through pain, it's not because you're a horrible human. I'm just as bad. And so that gives us a sense of humility. It also gives us a sense of patience as we try to extend the, the same love Christ extended to us on the cross to others. The verse also says that we share in, in the comforts of Christ. What does it mean to share in the comforts of Christ? Well, I think to share in the comforts of Christ is to identify yourself with the resurrection. To, to, to share in the sufferings is to identify with the cross. To share in the comfort is to identify with the resurrection. That you believe that one day you will really die, but that you will really rise again from the grave with Christ Jesus. You believe that he actually rose from the grave, that it was a real life event. That it's not just something we make up to feel good, but that that really matters. And this is actually extremely comforting to know that, that Christ has risen from the grave and one day I will rise with him to a new and glorified body because it gives us hope. 
I've been to quite a few different funerals, and the happiest funerals are always the ones where the resurrection is talked about. The person who died believed in the resurrection, that they would one day rise again because all hope is not lost. We comfort others with the suffering and the comfort we've received in Christ. My kitchen sink backed up recently, and I tried a bottle of dual force Drano to unclog it. Did you know that two powerful liquids combined to clear clogs guaranteed or it's free? Well, the cool thing about these bottles is that it's one bottle, but then it's divided in half. So there's actually two different liquids on the inside. There's like a blue liquid and a, and a gray liquid. And when you pour out the bottle on the clogged sink, these two liquids combine, and that's when the magic happens. That's when the foam happens. And it, it unclogs the sink or the drain. Many people, when they're going through times of suffering and darkness, there is a drain, there, there is a clog in their life where the joy and the happiness just can't get through. And so how can we comfort them? We have to comfort them with the comfort and with the suffering of Christ Jesus, with both, because that's when the magic happens. That's when we can, we can get through and, and bring true hope. See, if we just try, if someone's going through pain and we just bring our suffering in, and we just say, I'm here to suffer with you, and I, I have nothing else to give you, then that's incredibly depressing, and we offer no hope. And if we just come in and say, oh, everything's okay, all I have is comfort, all I have is good feelings, then we can't relate. But if we say, you know, I'm coming in with, with the sufferings that I've gone through, but also with this comfort that I have in Christ Jesus, that is where true hope can be found. That's where the clog can be cleared. When we can say, I hurt with you, and I love you, I also have a Savior. I have one, someone who loves me, loves you, and hurts with you. We comfort others with the comfort we've received in Christ. So how do we know that this comfort will do those who suffer any good? How do we know that it will last? Well, Christ comforts us with the hope of salvation. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings. Verse 6 says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Comfort and salvation. Now, this word and is actually a very important word in this sentence. In the original language, it's in what grammarians like to call uh, the copulative conjunction. That's kind of a fancy word. It's a copulative conjunction. It is used to bind two words together in a close relationship. So comfort and salvation are being bound together in a close relationship. Now, for copulative, just think of a buddy cop movie like Lethal Weapon or Rush Hour, where two cops, they stick, they stick together through thick and thin. And what Scripture is saying is that salvation and comfort, they stick together through thick and thin. See, we can't offer true comfort without true salvation. That's just a temporary, non-lasting comfort. And, and if we try to offer salvation, like, comfort will come along. Comfort and salvation, they stick together. Perhaps some of you have been looking for comfort in all the wrong places. You've been looking for comfort in, in, in temporary things, relationships, occupations, whatever it is. 
God says that you can have a true and eternal comfort in the knowledge that you're saved, that you belong to Jesus Christ, that no one can take you from his hand. So what's the main point? What's the big idea? It's that God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others with Christ. God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others in Christ. Verse 7 says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Notice that Paul's hope is unshaken. Paul's hope is unshaken, unbroken, because he knows true followers of Christ will last. Paul was a messenger of unshakable hope, and do you want to be a messenger of unshakable hope? That's what our message is about today. It's about offering a hope that is longer lasting, that is true, that is comforting. And maybe there are a few of you out there are saying, well, I, 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 I'm hearing you and I want to comfort others, but I still don't really get it. I, I know that I need to bring in the message of Christ and of salvation, but I don't really want to r- run in and clobber them on the head with Jesus. I've been talking a lot about Christ and the, and the hope that he offers, the true hope. So here's some, I'm going to put up some principles on the screen um, that kind of distill the message, kind of summarize the message in, in, in seven diff- different ways um, that maybe some of you would appreciate, and you can write them down if you want. Um, and these are from our passage, how we can comfort others, some, some principles. So first, know that our God is a God who cares, that our God loves us deeply, that God loves people, that he's all about people. Second, recognize we all suffer differently. We all suffer differently at different levels, and yet our hope is all the same. Third, trust the Holy Spirit will work through you. The the Holy Spirit is the, the paraclete. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and if he's inside of you, he can bring comfort through you. Fourth, remember the suffering you've gone through. Remember those life experiences that God has used to shape you because God has made you the person that you are. Don't just try to forget those things. Remember them. Say, how, how can I use these to, suffer, to, to, to comfort others in their pain? Fifth, focus on the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Remember that, that we identify ourselves with Jesus and that gives us a deep sense of humility because we're no better than anyone else. It's only by his grace that we are saved. Sixth, focus on our hope in the resurrection. That's where the true hope comes, that that one day all wrongs will be made right when Christ calls us forth from the grave. Seventh, remember comfort and salvation are a pair. That we can try to bring comfort without salvation, but it's it's not true comfort. We need need both. And notice that this is not a to-do list, how to comfort others, 21 steps. This is more a a character list. This is more of a who God is creating you to be list. This is more about being than doing. And that's okay. Because when we're the the people God is is wanting to form us into, that's when we're going to be able to comfort others best. God comforts us in suffering so we can comfort others with Christ. You can put the slides down now. I'm going to close with just a final story. Uh, many of you know that I, I mentored under David Midwood, pastor of the Four Seas Church in Andover, uh, who died this last October. Uh, it just obliged me one more story about him. Uh, so the, the, the funeral was in early October, and uh, I was not able to make it to the funeral because I, I flew out to Colorado. Uh, but I did go to the visitation hours 
for his wife and three daughters, his wife Louise. And so the visitation was up in Andover at the, at the, at the church, and I went up there and got in line, and the line started at the, the back of the auditorium, the sanctuary, and it snaked down through the middle of the sanctuary, up the side, out into the foyer, and then finally there was Louise and her three daughters. And the, the, the line was over an hour long that I waited to talk with them. And as I got closer and closer to talking with Louise, I got more and more nervous. Because I said, what can I say that would bring her any comfort? She lost her husband. These girls lost their father. I had written a letter uh, and tried to, to write some nice words about David, but, but I didn't know what to say when I was in person. And so finally, when I got up front to, to Louise, it was just her and me, and I gave her a hug. And I said, you know, we love you, and if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. And I'm sure she had heard that about a hundred times before me. And you know what she did? She grabbed me by the arms and she said, thank you for what you wrote. You know that David loved you, don't you? He loved you. And then she gave me a hug. <laughs> and I had to like pull away because I was so overcome. She, she did that and her three daughters for four hours, from 4 to 8 p.m., hundreds of people. The Holy Spirit was so evident in her life that she was comforting them. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want the Holy Spirit to speak through me and to speak through you when you go through the, the worst of circumstances. God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others with Christ. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit comforts through us. And that we first receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit through salvation in Christ Jesus. We're so undeserving of a God that says, I love you. And yet you love us. Lord, would you give us an opportunity this week to comfort someone who's in pain with true and lasting comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Benediction comes from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.